0: I've also seen plans go back in time and restate their benchmark. So in one case, uh, I had one plan just with a simple uh, rejiggering of their benchmark create a thousand basis points over three years of Phantom Alpha because they basically slowed down the benchmark. So there's all sorts of creative ways that necessitate an occasional look under the hood to not only make sure that getting good reports, but how And where is your consultant adding or possibly subtracting value?
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Retirement Space Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Smith. In today's episode, my guest, Brian Schroeder, and I talk about monitoring OCIOs, or Outsourced Chief Investment Officer's, performance. Brian is founder of OCIO Monitor. He does what the name of his organization suggests. He provides institutional investors independent reviews of their OCIO's performance. He's been in the business of doing this for over a decade, but with the increased use of OCIOs in recent years, and given the strong projections for their growth in the future, the need for third-party oversight is also on the rise. Outsource Chief Investment Officers, At times in this episode, we refer to them simply as investment consultants, provide an invaluable service to groups who have responsibility for large pools of capital, such as pension funds and endowments and foundations. The fiduciaries of these funds often outsource their day-to-day investment management to OCIOs to reduce operational burden and to take advantage of their investment management expertise. And while OCIOs regularly report their activity and performance to the trustees, fully understanding and objectively scrutinizing this performance, which is part of a fiduciary's duty, can be a challenge. This is where Brian comes in. He helps those who are ultimately responsible for the fund review their OCIOs' performance. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'll put a link to Brian's OCIO Monitor website in the show notes of this episode so you can learn more about his services and contact him if you'd like. Here are a few reminders before we get started. Nothing in this episode is intended to be or is financial or legal advice. Statements and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the host, and the content in this episode is not a paid promotion. Okay, very good. Let's talk about monitoring OCIO performance. Brian, thanks for agreeing to be a guest on the Retirement Space Podcast.
0: Well, thanks for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a fun conversation. Hey, before we get into the topic, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your career path? How did you get to this point where you're now a monitor of OCIOs?
0: Sure thing. I've been in the institutional investment management and consulting business now for over 30 years. Uh, my entire career has been spent fascinating about the financial markets, investing and helping people find Uh, creative solutions. I mean, heck, I remember growing up uh, watching on PBS uh, Wall Street Week with Louis Rukeyser, and in seventh grade, I read Adam Smith's Money Game, and I was just kind of off to the races from there. But beginning in the early 90s, I started with a mutual fund company. Uh, Then I actually went to an institutional money manager that focused in the defined benefit space. I helped them open up their own set of mutual funds. After five years of doing that, I went to become a client officer for this company and worked directly with the trustees, the consultants, and other managers. At one point, we were a a balance manager that basically ran an entire portfolio. And inevitably, like any active manager, we had that five-year stretch where performance uh, was below median and uh, below the benchmark. So enter the consultant. Our plans were split up in such a way to, you know, kind of fill the style boxes, go to all the different asset classes, become widely diversified. And I had for about three years studying the effects that these consultants had on the plan and were they adding value. So with my kind of you know inside the ropes look at what was going on, I kind of shadow tracked what they were doing. And what I realized is that the real value add For a defined benefit plan, it could be an annuity plan, any type of plan, is the decisions that really move the needle occur at the investment consultant level. And knowing the value add of the investment consultant should be the priority of any plan sponsor that relies on the advice of investment consulting. So in 2010, I put out my own shingle and started providing due diligence of investment consultants and OCIOs.
1: Brian, everything I read tells me that OCIO is on the rise. Why do you think that is?
0: Well, I think there's really two reasons, and it's two sides of the same coin, kind of a push-pull. I believe that plan sponsors are moving from the failed model of a non-discretionary arrangement where they have an investment advisor Gives them recommendations, they do interviews, put manager on the watch list, they, they make these changes, and most of the time, they're going to end up approving what's recommended to them. And since they're moving at the speed of, you know, often quarterly meetings, it, it's often a delayed implementation. So it, it's kind of a, a failed model that's also loaded with conflicts of interest. So I think plan sponsors are saying, hey, let's work in real time and kind of leave it to the experts. At the same time, the consultants now OCIO, there's a nice fee increase. And the workload is actually lower having discretionary authority as opposed to kind of bring the client along uh, at a quarterly pace and having to vote, approve, interview, etc. So it's a much more streamlined process that I believe should yield better long-term results than using a non-discretionary model.
1: The consultant or the OCIO is giving the client expert advice. They're helping them invest. Why does the client, the institution, then need somebody like you to monitor their performance?
0: Well, I think the ultimate agency problem uh, in having an OCIO is providing the reports Basically, the player is also the scorekeeper. You know, they call golf the game of honor where you kind of assess yourself penalties, but it's your opponent that keeps score. So having an outside and independent view is prudent for any plan sponsor. One of the things when I started my company in 2010 was to basically show if and how the investment consultant or OCIO is adding value. What I didn't expect to find is how creative some of these OCIOs and investment consultants are at dressing up their performance. Reports are loaded with what I call incomplete feedback loops. For instance, if you change an asset allocation, you don't know how that allocation does in comparison to previous strategic asset allocations because the consultant normally drops reports and performance of those previous allocations. Similarly, if you change a manager, unless you track the performance of the terminated manager versus the replacing manager, how do you know if you're doing anything good or not? So there's all sorts of other areas that I found that consultants and OCIOs can really dress up their performance such that many times I've seen performance that is bottom quartile in a peer universe, but simultaneously above their plan benchmark. How does that happen?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Benchmarks should be there to be the one most important point of comparison between what you're trying to do and, and what you actually accomplished. But it sounds like what you're saying is there's other issues besides just choosing the correct benchmark that institutions have to deal with. And, and this is where you can help them evaluate.
0: Yeah, I've never seen performance fraudulently reported. However, I've seen very creative manipulations of benchmarks. For instance, straw man benchmarks for individual managers. A great example was after the global financial crisis, one of my clients went into a distressed bond fund. So these were fallen angels, junk bonds that were just simply pinched during the global financial crisis. And by the time they got out of the portfolio, the performance was outstanding and the consultant compared it to the Lehman Brothers Aggregate Bond Index. Obviously, it looked great, but compared to a high yield index, the performance wasn't as great. I've seen mis-indexed benchmarks. You know, private equity is one of those things where it's being compared instead of, say, like a universe of fellow private equity, it's compared to public markets. So not only does it create wild swings, but private equity and public equity are, are completely different things. In custom-made benchmarks, I've seen mis-weightings. I've seen clients that have 5% real estate allocations, but no representative real estate in their planned benchmark. So during the mid twenty teens when real estate was on a tear coming out of the global financial crisis, some plans looked fantastic because it was a misweighted benchmark. I've also seen plans go back in time and restate their benchmark. So in one case, uh, I had one plan just with a simple Uh, rejiggering of their benchmark create a thousand basis points over three years of phantom alpha because they basically slowed down the benchmark so there's all sorts of creative ways that necessitate an occasional look under the hood to not only make sure that getting good reports but how and where is your consultant adding or possibly subtracting value
1: So are you saying that the fiduciaries, they need help understanding what their consultant or their OCIO is presenting them?
0: Absolutely. They're very sophisticated in the reporting that's given. Often they're the size of small phone books, lots of small print, lots of statistics, ratios. Um, It's very easy to always tell a good story. And what client doesn't want to hear a good story? What client doesn't want to hear that they approved good recommendations of their investment consultant? In a sense, especially in the non-discretionary model, both the consultant and client, in a sense, share a foxhole. Some of these plan sponsors are elected. They're politically appointed. They always want to see good news. But Good news doesn't make you stronger, it actually makes you weaker. So a lot of these clients also have their consultant or OCIO are fiduciaries. Some of them are fiduciaries under ERISA, which is some of the highest standards to be held to. And who would ever suspect a fiduciary would ever manipulate their benchmarks or do something not in the best interest of their client? So if you're a fiduciary, that's the easiest way to fool a client. And it happens uh, quite often.
1: And I would imagine that the complexity of what some OCIOs are doing, the breadth and depth of the different asset types that they're using in portfolios is adding to the need to have an outside, independent expert like yourself, help them understand what's going on in their portfolio, how their consultant is actually doing.
0: That's absolutely the case. And what we've seen is greater complexity doesn't necessarily mean better returns. It does guarantee the fees are higher. It does guarantee that it is harder for clients to follow what is going on in their portfolio and performance attribution. So complexity is great camouflage also for consultants. When things are constantly changing and benchmarks are changing, managers coming, managers going, it makes it more difficult for plan sponsors to really understand if this complexity is helping.
1: Yeah, and another thing we see is litigation has increased dramatically in the last decade. It's affecting DC plans, but now it's even creeping into health and welfare and certainly defined benefit. Any plan that's governed under ERISA, I've got to believe that this is also a factor that's increasing the need for a fiduciary to get independent help in monitoring the expertise, the expertise of the consultant, the OCIO, so they can show that they've done something, That makes it reasonable to rely upon that expertise.
0: Yeah, litigation is certainly something that's come into the news, certainly more on the defined contribution participant directed side, certainly with the Northwestern decision, which is interesting. If you read the Northwestern decision, Justice Sotomayor, in her opinion, refers several times back to the Tibble v. Edison decision of about a decade before And one of the main takeaways I got from the Tibble decision was the judge kind of poked a hole in the defense and the defense said, well, we were just relying on the advice of our expert. And the judge said or asked, well, what did you do to reasonably justify your reliance on the expert? And so this is what one of the main kind of legal protections that bringing an independent review brings to a plan sponsor did you do any type of due diligence to reasonably justify your reliance on the advice of your expert and i do believe that this is the defined benefit side of the table is going to get more attention for instance under ERISA one of the duties of a board of trustees is to make sure that they are paying reasonable fees in light of quantity and quality of service. So, they may be overpaying based upon industry metrics, but they could also be overpaying due to poor investment advice. So, plan sponsors should get ahead of the potential issue, and certainly compared to the fees paid to investment consultants, OCIOs, and asset managers... The cost for a periodic independent review is just a drop in the bucket. Okay, so
1: what are other benefits of using an OCIO monitor?
0: Yeah, be- besides just the benefits of prudence and due diligence and knowing if your consultant or OCIO is adding value, my particular service analyzes you know the five different duties that create or destroy value. And my services... Once you look at a significant enough sample size, you can identify patterns to decisions. You can realize and understand what areas are adding value, what may not be adding value. So I'll give you a great example. I did a study for a plan in 2012 and they rehired me again 10 years later, 2022. In the Analysis in 2012, I came up with a few suggestions that are behavioral finance related, uh, such as chasing returns, chasing asset classes, you know, buying high, selling low, that type of thing. Turns out, 10 years later, and they do credit me. They were a top decile plan in the Taft Hartley universe. Another big plan I had. They had about four or five billion dollars. This was I don't know eight, eight, nine years ago. I did an analysis of their firing and basically once they put them on the watch list and then they interviewed and they told them they were on watch and they told the managers they better do, do better or else they're going to get fired. turns out that they were firing by the time they went through this whole watch list song and dance. They were firing managers at the exact bottom of their alpha cycle. So, once they learned what they were doing, they changed their ways going forward, and they greatly improved their manager firing discipline. Instead of firing, they actually gave money to these underperforming managers. And so, they, they, had, they improved performance tremendously.
1: So, just to backfill a little information there, the five basic functions of an OCIO are, one, to set the strategic asset allocation. Two would be to make tactical investment decisions. Third would be to hire active managers. Fourth would be to fire active managers. And then the fifth would be to keep the portfolio rebalanced. So, Brian, I'm also curious about the consultant's opinion of you looking over their shoulder. That that can't be a comfortable situation for them. What do they think about your services and you providing this independent review of how they're doing.
0: Yeah, I just did a uh, plan for an international union. They had about $14 billion. And, you know, it was a very constructive and positive review. The consultant did a great job. They were adding value for the period uh, that I reviewed. But I am sensitive and aware that you know, no one likes anyone poking over their shoulder. So I have a very good bedside manner that I've developed. And this this isn't supposed to say, you know, you messed up or anything like that. It is a process of self-reflection. It's a process to make everyone better, not just the plan sponsor, Not just the OCIO or consultant, but also me. And everyone will find some way to benefit from such a review. And they should welcome it. If you follow Ray Dalio, he's all about fixing the machine. What happened? Why? Where in the process? And how can we do better? He calls it mistake-based learning. So unless a plan sponsor or OCIO is engaged in this process in-house which is obviously you can't be very objective, you know, measuring yourself. But unless you're doing this, you're falling behind. Now, do your clients
1: hire you on a continual basis? So you're evaluating the performance year in, year out, or do you work on a project by project basis?
0: Both. Uh, I do have currently uh, six different trust funds that I provide ongoing quarterly reports to. Also, I do four or five different Individual projects uh, for you know foundations, pensions, etc. So it, it's a mixed bag, and quite often the one-time projects do turn into ongoing relationships. Well, Brian, you make a compelling
1: case for your service, and just to remind the listeners, this is not a paid promotion. But given everything you've said so far, why wouldn't a plan sponsor or a fiduciary or institutional asset owner? Why wouldn't they use? a service like yours. Now, I know that there's a cost involved and you always have to weigh the benefit against the cost, but what would be the reasons why institutions don't use a service like yours?
0: I think fear. I think they're kind of scared of what they might find out. If you look at public plans, if you look at, I I grew up in the Multi employer, you know, union Taft Hartley plan space. The union side is normally, you know, elected every three years. So, what if a report came out that showed that decisions that they've made may have cost value? Uh, What if on the political side, uh, it doesn't look good for a decision made by, say, a county treasurer who's the chairman of their county pension board made some serious bloopers? It could cost them their election. So In a sense, the consultant, the managers, uh, sometimes the internal staff, the plan sponsor, the trustees all have a vested interest in keeping up appearances. And so bringing in a independent review does carry with it uh, some potential risk, but not doing so I think is even a bigger risk as you may be allowing things to continue that are slowly costing you great sums over time. Now,
1: Brian, in in some instances, I got to believe that the organization that you're evaluating, the OCIO, they're a fiduciary also. And the risk of penalty for fiduciaries, particularly in the ERISA area, uh, is pretty high. Isn't that economic incentive enough for them to do the best job they can to be objective in in their reporting? What is your response to that?
0: Well, you know, investing is about overcoming uncertainty in light of the client's needs and risk tolerances, etc. You know, no one has a crystal ball. And, you know, as I mentioned previously, I've seen very well-known OCIOs and investment consultants make huge, huge blunders. Uh, I'll give you a, a quick example. There's one study I did for a defined benefit plan, and the consultant that they use is today a top 10 assets under advisement consultant in the United States. You'd know the name if I said him. And this study took 19 years. In asset allocation, they made 13 changes in 19 years versus doing nothing at all, Matt, they cost the plan over 5,800 basis points. Similarly, that's just on asset allocation. On manager selection, over 19 years, they hired 20 managers. While hired, those active managers, only five of them outperformed while hired. Also during that 19-year period, they fired 12 managers. Eight of those managers, out of 12, went on to outperform after termination. They had it completely backward. So, this is a top 10 household name type consultant that absolutely blundered. So, even though they were fiduciary, you know, they're humans too. And the client didn't know really what was going on because, again, the consultants provide the reports. Well, now, I'm curious
1: that you have the risk of penalties, you have the complexity, you have the difficulty of outperforming a benchmark, are you finding fiduciaries are starting to give up on the task and just invest more in passive investing?
0: Sure. Um, I think a lot of plan sponsors are waking up to the fact that there are areas where passive and just getting the market beta at the lowest possible price makes sense and areas where it may not. So, for instance, there's one plan uh, that I worked with that did very well, actually, in picking managers in inefficient markets. Uh, let's just say, you know, emerging markets, foreign markets, things like that. But they, I actually then figured out in the domestic side, they lost value. So they made the decision. I said, hey, look, over 10 years, not only were you hiring and firing managers based on past performance and basically ensuring yourself below benchmark performance, but your market segmentation, how you were weighting versus broad indexes actually cost value as well. So this plan then said, okay, great. That makes sense. We are going to just index domestic equities and it frees up more resources to focus on the more inefficient markets, including alternatives. So it actually Freedom up, they lowered their overall fees, and they reduced performance leakage that they experienced in the domestic equity sector. Okay,
1: Brian, why wouldn't these institutions just hire a second consultant? Since they are experts at that task, why not use another consultant to evaluate your OCIO?
0: This is all about, again, what I call completing incomplete feedback loops. In all of the dozens and dozens of reviews I've done, I have never seen a consultant provide data on their own value add. It's all about looking at the managers. It's very difficult to provide objective information about yourself. I mean, who can really take that hard, long look in the mirror uh, for that type of self-assessment? So I provide data that is independent, objective, and quantitative. So I don't believe that a consultant or OCIO can be very good about that look in the mirror. It's just human nature. So what happens is some plan sponsors and and consultants and OCIOs are all too willing to do this is to provide an evaluation on a competitor. That is a very, very dangerous thing to do. And I'll tell you why. Not only is it unfair to the incumbent consultant where your competitor is gaining essentially market information, but it could actually affect returns. I mean, here we are in a, a ban of illiquidity and consultants looking for that next emerging manager, you know, they get to that proverbial look inside the kimono. They're getting market research that could impact the managers that you currently own. You know, and one of the criticisms people say is, If you have a competitor perform an independent review, quote, independent review, the fear is that they're going to be too hard. That is an unfound fear. And I'll tell you why. Because if they are too hard, it can be disproven. The real problem in having a competitor is that they're too nice. And what do I mean by that? And why would they? Because the tables could be reversed in a future situation where consultant A is monitoring B, but at a future time, B could be monitoring A. And so kind of like the violating of the magician's code, a consultant is never going to give up another consultant, so to speak. And problems could persist for being too nice. And the, and the poor plan sponsor would not say, oh, hey, they're too nice. This is a bad report because they want a good report. But what they really want is an honest and objective report. Do you do manager searches? I specifically do not perform searches. I do not recommend firings. I do not recommend hirings because obviously if I could perform searches, I could upset the apple cart, so to speak, in a review and then generate additional fees through a search. So if there is a provider that does both reviews and searches, that's a clear conflict. I've modeled my business to have the fewest possible conflicts.
1: This has been a great conversation, Brian. I really do appreciate it. Do you have any parting thoughts?
0: Sure. You know, the main reason to use an OCIO monitor or consultant monitor or just any type of independent evaluation, first and foremost, is it's prudent. It makes common sense. I mean, we will get three or four different estimates for getting a car repair done, or a second opinion on a major medical procedure, but how many people actually get a second opinion on their investment performance? Especially when the person giving the advice is also keeping score. And for any of your listeners that might be interested, I'm always happy to do a a quick virtual call with anyone who says, hey, let's take a quick look at the report, and you'd be amazed at what I can find in a report in 10 minutes, given I've looked at thousands of reports over the years.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I certainly hope some of the listeners do take you up on that offer. Brian, this has been a great conversation. It's certainly been an eye-opener for me. Thank you again for appearing on the Retirement Space Podcast.
0: Thank you, Matt, for the opportunity to, to sit down with you and discuss these very important issues.
1: All right, everyone, that is a wrap for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'll put a link to Brian's website, OCIO Monitor, in the show notes of this episode so you can learn more about his organization and contact him if you'd like. And I encourage you to check out my other episodes of The Retirement Space Podcast by heading over to www.theretirementspace.com. If you found this episode useful, I would truly appreciate it if you left a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. That really helps get the message out to new potential listeners. And you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, even if you listen to this episode on another platform. Finally, if you have any questions or comments about this episode or have suggestions for guests for future episodes, you can email me at matt at theretirementspace.com.